Luke chapter number 24 this morning. And, uh, you know, last week was Easter. I praise the Lord for the resurrection. And you'll find as you study the Word of God that uh, there were several incidences, 12 I believe, where the Lord dealt with people after His resurrection before His ascension. Now, I'm not trying to go into dispensational theology here this morning. I understand that the time in between the resurrection and the ascension was a little bit different than the church age. I understand that. But let me just say that as we live today, there is a risen Savior. I believe we ought to live like there's a risen Savior. I believe it ought to change our lives in a drastic and radical way. And we find in uh, Luke chapter number 24, we find two people that are walking down the road to Emmaus. And the Lord has been risen, but they're not living like it. Can I tell you one of the greatest crimes of Christianity today is that we live our lives like the Lord has not risen. We live our lives as though it was just a historical event, the crucifixion, as though it was just a loving act, but we don't really believe that the resurrection really happened, most of us. We have an academic belief of it, but we don't have an effectual belief of it. In Luke chapter 24, I want us to begin at verse 13. The Bible says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know Him. And He said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto Him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company, which made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures? 
And they rose up, I like this, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. I want to say that again. And he was known unto them in breaking of bread. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. It's a day that you've made, but you've not made it for our glory, Lord, but for yours. So help us to live in such a way that bring you glory. I thank you for this wonderful group of people gathered here, Lord. I pray they've come with hungry hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would meet every need that needs to be met. It could very well be, Lord, that there's one here today that has all the academic knowledge of the crucifixion and the resurrection, but they don't have fellowship with your dear son. They've never been saved. But I pray that this morning you'd make them aware of that. Lord, that they'd come to know you as their Savior. Father, that they'd not leave this place, that they'd find no exit from this building. Ere they come and throw themselves at your cross and and plead with you and beg you, Lord, to save them. Father, I pray that if there's one here that's discouraged, that you'd uplift them. Lord, one that's haughty, that you'd abase them. But Lord, that in all things it'd be for your glory and for our good. Father, we love you this morning. For the cross of Calvary, because of the cross, we love you, Lord, and teach us to love you more. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. What an interesting story we've just read. Two disciples that we really don't know anything about except for this Emmaus Road journey. If you want a title, I've titled the message this morning, On the Way Home. Boy, there's some strange things happen on the way home sometimes, amen? You ever, in GPSs have just about solved this, but have you ever uh, uh, been heading on the way home and wound up somewhere you didn't plan on being? I've been there. I was at a meeting in Maryville one time, and I went to pull out, and I, I took a wrong turn at Albuquerque, amen. I wasn't so far as Albuquerque, but Bugs Bunny would have said that. And, I, and, you know, most of you know the trip between Knoxville and Maryville. There aren't, there aren't any large bridges or dams that you have to cross on the way from from Knoxville to Maryville. Before long, I was on top of a big old tall dam with the lights on either side. I looked at the boy riding with me. I said, we ain't in Kansas anymore. He said, I know it. (laughs) Finally, I saw a sign that said, Lenore City, amen. (laughs) I still don't know how that happened. I don't want to find out, amen. Some strange things happen on the way home. But we find that for these two disciples, as they made that six-and-a-half-mile trip, three-score furlongs, the Bible says, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, that something unusual took place in their life. These two disciples had been abiding and fellowshipping with the other disciples, the eleven. Of course, Judas had already went out and hanged himself, the Bible teaches us. And there were probably other disciples that had been uh, around them at this time. And they had been communing with them. But whereas the other disciples stayed, they decided to go home. All common belief would say they would have stayed at Jerusalem. But they didn't stay at Jerusalem. They went home. Like Peter that climbed upon a ship that looked at his fellows and said, I go a-fishing. They said, we're going back to the house. They had walked with the Lord. They had talked with the Lord. They had known Him. And yet at a time of discouragement, They threw in the towel. They said, we're going home. Wonder, reckon, what caused that? Let me tell you something. When we live as though Christ is dead, it won't be long before our spiritual life is dead. 
When we live as though the Lord is not risen and alive, not only seated on the throne of heaven, but on the throne of our hearts, it won't be long before we throw in the towel. I've seen it time and time again. I know that you have people that you would have given a month's, uh, a month's pay. Uh, if you're a betting person, you're all Baptists, so I'd say a few of you are, amen. Uh, but given a month's pay to say that they would have never, never turned their back on the Lord. Before you know it, there they are out in sin, out in the world, breaking every promise they made to God, giving up on every covenant they've made, every obligation, not only the things they've promised, but the things that the Word of God commands us to do. They're out in the world. wonder what causes that. We find with these disciples, and I'm going to try to be brief this morning. I told them Wednesday night I'd like to preach 15 minutes. I've never done it before. I don't know what it's like, but I'd like to try that this morning. We'll see. Uh, I want us to look at three different things. First off, take a look at the return trip that they were making home. Look again at verse number 13. The Bible says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. It wasn't a long trip. And let me say, you don't have to travel far to be out of the will of God either. It wasn't a long trip that they were taking. We don't know for sure who the other disciple was. Most of us presume that it was probably Mary. We know that Cleopas was married and that his wife's name was Mary. And we just suppose they lived together. Amen. I don't know, but I suppose they did. And that's probably why they were heading home. Now, all of their hopes and dreams had been shattered. The Lord that they had followed for three and a half years had been crucified. Everything that they had believed to be true was now untrue. Everything they had put their hopes in was dashed. The will of God for their life as they understood it had dissipated. Everything was done. And they were in a place of darkness. Verse number 15, look what it says. The Bible says, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Notice verse 16, the Bible says, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Isn't it funny that after all that time of walking with them, they couldn't recognize him when he showed up. I want to try to give you something that I believe is true this morning. Do you know that a lot of times believers that have walked with God for many years can get themselves in such a place where they can't even recognize the Lord's presence in their life? That's a scary thing. The Bible says you can go so far into sin that you forget you've been washed from your old sins. You say, preacher, don't you believe in the perseverance of the saints? No, I believe in the preservation of the saints by the Holy Spirit of God and by His power. That's what I believe in. I believe that the Lord saves a man and saves him eternally. But I don't believe that a sheep can never wander from the fold. I don't believe you can ever lose your salvation. But I do believe you can lose your joy in the Lord. I believe you can get miserable in Christ. Amen. Because you're not in Him like you ought to be. You're not abiding with Him. But I think probably the most difficult element, the most trying thing about this trip home, was that it was a time of confusion in their life. They said later on, we had trusted that he had been he. Now, who's the he they're talking about? The Messiah. You see, it was no great contradiction to him that he died. Because prophets died all the time. It was no contradiction to their belief in him being a good and moral man that he'd been crucified. Because good and moral men are crucified, persecuted, killed all the time. But the great thing that caused them confusion was this. If he was the Messiah, 
How could he allow himself to be crucified? We find this same sentiment in the hearts and minds of the other disciples whenever they were speaking to the Lord. And the book of Acts chapter 1 gives us this. They said, wilt thou at this time uh, restore thy kingdom? What were they saying? They were saying, I thought you came for a crown, not for a cross. I thought you came for a kingdom, not to be crucified. When are you going to set up your kingdom? Can I say many times as Christians, things don't work out like we think they ought to? Is that true? Somebody say amen this morning. Is that true? Sometimes things don't work out like we expect them. Sometimes God's plan for our life doesn't work out the way that we anticipate. And one of the most crushing things in a Christian's life can be the darkness that he faces when he doesn't understand what's going on around him. I talked to my Sunday school class this morning about Job. If you read carefully the book of Job, you find that his chief complaint, listen carefully, his chief complaint was not the loss of his children. That wasn't his chief complaint. His chief complaint was not the loss of his wealth. That wasn't his chief complaint. His chief complaint was not the loss of his health or of the support of his wife. That wasn't Job's chief complaint. Here's a man bankrupt of everything that makes life worth living seemingly. And his big complaint is not his bankruptcy. His big complaint is his confusion. He says, oh, that I might find him. That I might bring my cause before him. He said, I go forward and he's not there. I go backwards and he's not found. On the right hand where he worketh, on the left hand he cannot be found. Job says, the most trying thing about this trial is that I just don't understand it. I'm in a place of darkness. Many times in our life, the most difficult thing to cope with is the darkness that we face. I've shared this with you before, but if I have, that's okay. You won't have to pay for it. Amen. You look in... Paul's life. And Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh. And he talked about a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. And when you read that passage, Paul is in a place of confusion and darkness. He says, thrice I prayed. Three times, Paul says, I prayed and asked God to take this thing away from me. But you know what God said? God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Now, let me tell you something. I know sometimes, and grace is a beautiful thing. I'm not trying to say it's not. And there is the effectual, supernatural work of grace in our lives. The Bible says, uh, with all prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. I know that there is a supernatural work of grace that takes place in the life of the believer, whereby he alleviates our burdens. We cast our cares upon him, for he careth for us. I understand that. But I don't believe the grace that God was talking about in Paul's life was just an effectual, supernatural working of grace. You know what Paul says? Paul says, I shall rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, for when I am weak, then am I strong. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? God said, my grace is sufficient. What did that mean? I believe the grace that God displayed in Paul's life was making Paul aware of the purpose of his trial. Trials are easier to bear. 
When Paul understood that without this thorn in the flesh, he could not be as strong in Christ as he ought to be. Christ couldn't be as lifted up and as glorified if he didn't have this thorn in the flesh. It's then that Paul says, I'll rather glory in my infirmity. He says, now I understand it. Now I can bear it. Paul said, in the darkness I was crushed, but in the light I can bear this burden. Many times one of the most difficult things to deal with is just the confusion that follows when trials come. You ever feel like you did everything right and it all turned out wrong? I don't know. Maybe maybe it's getting a little quiet in here. Maybe you all don't have problems. I don't know. Did you ever do everything right, it seemed? But it just all went sideways on you and you couldn't explain it. I mean, let's say like Job, you, you were upright and you eschewed evil. You made sacrifices for your children. You tried to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then everything just went sideways and you just couldn't figure it out. There's times when we're in darkness. Darkness, a lot of times, I want you to notice the second thing, brings discouragement. Look at verse number 17. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another? As ye walk... Now notice what the Lord says. This is not just the casual observation of a wandering companion, but this is the holy, inspired, preserved, and errant word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says, And are sad. He says, Why are you so down and discouraged? Can I say that this trip home was filled with darkness, but it was filled with discouragement as well. This was a trip home to quit. You hear me? This was a trip home to quit. They weren't going home to get fresh clothes. They weren't going home to get fresh victuals and provisions. They was going home to stay. They were so discouraged they was given up. I wish I could say there's never been times when the thought of giving up has entered my mind. I wish I could say that. But I'd have to lie to you to tell you that. I've sat under my share of juniper trees, and you probably have too. Uh, It's interesting, we all talk down on Elijah because he got under the juniper tree, don't we? But, you know, Elijah was ready to die rather than to give up on the Lord. You hear me? Elijah was ready rather to die than to give up on the Lord. Elijah said, I'd rather go out of this world than be a reproach to the name of Christ. Let me tell you what a lot of Christians today do. They'd rather live out of the will of God than die in the will of God. You hear me? They'd rather live out of the will of God than die in the will of God. The fact is, discouragement comes to all of us. Anybody that tells you they've never been discouraged, they're lying through their teeth. Everybody gets discouraged. Discouragement in and of itself is not a sin. But let me tell you what discouragement, if it's not brought before the Lord, can cause. Look at number three. We see it was a doubtful trip. Look at verses 18 through 24. I know we've already read it, but you bear with me. And the one of them whose name was Cleopas answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, let me pause and say, boy, this is a blessing. The Lord says, what things? Did he need to know what things? He already knew what things. Isn't that a call to prayer in our lives? Isn't that a call to pour out our complaint unto the Lord? He knows what our problems are, but still he asks what things. 
When we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm discouraged. The Lord knows why you're discouraged. But He says, what things? When we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm so down and out and I'm so troubled and I'm so scared. There's trials in my life. He knows what's going on. But He says, what things? Bring them before my throne. Lay them at my feet. Let me hug hold of your heart and give you the comfort and peace that you need. He says, what things? Look what Cleopas says. And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now he speaks of him in an earthly title. Notice that first off. Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. He does not elevate him to the Messiah or the Son of God, but he says he was a prophet. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted, notice this, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Now, whenever they speak of him as the Messiah, now it's in a sense of doubt. Verse 22, Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so, as the women had said, but him they saw not. Let me say it how I believe Cleopas was, was saying it, if we could understand it and be in the context of the conversation. Cleopas says, are you a stranger in Israel? Have you not heard the things that are taking place? Our Lord says, what things? He said, concerning this Jesus of Nazareth, this man, this holy man who was a prophet, mighty in, in a deed and word before God and man, this man that, that had shown all these proofs, this man that had raised the dead. We had thought that he was the Messiah. We trusted him. Let me pry into the deepest, darkest re, uh, recesses of your heart. You don't have to answer this. You don't even have to amen it, okay? But I wonder if there's a time when you've said in your life, Lord, I trusted you. I trusted you and things didn't work out like I thought. I trusted you, but I didn't sign on for this. I trusted you, but you never said you was going to take my baby from me. I trusted you, but you never said you was going to wreck my home or allow it to be wrecked. The Lord don't wreck it. I trusted you, but you never said I was going to lose my job. I trusted you, but you never said my children were going to go wayward. I trusted you, Lord, but you never said I was going to get sick like this. I trusted you. I trusted you. But we had trusted that it had been He who should have redeemed Israel. Notice what they say then. Let me say it like I believe we'd, we'd hear it if we were in the conversation. He says, there were some women that went to the tomb, and the women heard from an angel... That he was risen. And then we sent men that had heard it from the women who had heard it from the angel that he had risen. But they found him not. You know what they're saying? Hearsay. Story of a story of a story of a story. No validity in their testimony. That's what they're saying. They're saying they claimed this. They never saw him. It brings doubts. It brings doubts. I wish I could tell you I've never doubted God. But I'd have to lie to you to tell you that. There's been times when in the wicked recesses of this preacher's heart that he's wondered if God knows what he's doing. There's been times within the, 
the heart of this preacher that stands in a pulpit and preaches and gives you the Word of God and feeds you. No, church, don't think less of me because I think if you'll be honest, you'll know it's true for your life too. When I've raised my hands toward heaven and said, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I'm just having trouble with this. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Sometimes we have doubts. When we live as though the Lord is not risen, it brings darkness and discouragement and doubts. But let me say that even though there was a return trip home, I'm thankful there was a revelation from the Lord that took place. They weren't looking for Him. He came looking for them. Did you hear me? They weren't looking for Him. They believed Him to be dead. They believed Him to be crucified. They believed the ministry to be done. They weren't looking for Him. He came looking for them. The Bible says Jesus Himself drew near. He drew near. But they beheld Him. Uh, Their eyes were holding that they might not know Him. As I said, three different groups of people after the resurrection that saw the Lord but didn't know Him. Let me give you... Let me give you a short thought. We see Mary Magdalene at the tomb. She saw him, but supposed he was the gardener. We see the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They see him, but they did not know him. How out on the sea, as the disciples sailed in a fruitless night of frustration and discouragement, he spoke from the seashore. He said, children, have ye any meat? But they knew not that it was him. Listen, there's times in our life when it's tough to find the Lord in our trials. Am I being truthful? There's times. I don't know about you. There's been times when this preacher's prayed and had trouble getting getting a, an answer from heaven. There's been times when I've prayed and sought God and it seemed like it was tough to hear from Him. But oh, oh, I'm thankful that when I can't find Him, He can always find me. I'm thankful when this sheep wanders from the fold. And I'm thankful when I get out and sin. And I'm thankful when I mess up and when I fail that there's a God in heaven that if I don't know where He is, He always knows where I am. And sooner or later He comes knocking. And sooner or later He saddles up beside this wayward pilgrim in His tiresome journey and draws near and says, What are you so sad about? What are you so sad about? When the presence of the Lord came near, it brought first off conviction. O oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the, that the prophets spake. Conviction's necessary in our lives. And let me tell you something. Even though it's natural to be discouraged, and it's not a sin to, to get discouraged, I'm not saying that. Sometimes we wallow in it. Boy, that, that's some preaching territory right there. Because never have we lived in a day of such self-pity as we do in today. People get down in the miry clay and instead of grasping the firm and pierced hand of an almighty God to lift them up, they say, no, I'll just stay here. It's easier to wallow in self-pity. Why do we do that? Because we don't believe what God said. We don't believe His power. We don't believe He's risen. We don't believe He's alive and we don't believe He can really help us. Don't you reckon as they walk down the road that one of them would have looked at each other and said, you know, he said he's going to rise from the dead. But as far as we know, neither of them did. Don't you wonder if one of them might have looked at the other one and said, let's hope against hope and let's believe that he's alive and risen. But they were slow of heart to believe. That slowness, that that slowness can get you in a mess. Slowness to obey God, slowness to believe him. Let me tell you something. The reason that Jonah wound up in a whale's belly wasn't because he didn't go to Nineveh. It was because he didn't go when he first was told to. He wound up in Nineveh. 
But the reason he had to take a detour, amen, in the USS Whale, <laughs> Carnival Cruise Lines Whale edition, was because he didn't believe God and obey him when the Lord told him to obey him. You have God's Word. What a precious thing. Oh, we, we neglect that Bible. Oh, neighbor, we neglect it. In that book, we have the promises and peace of God. In that book, we have the comfort and consolation of His presence. In that book, we have the truth and compass for our life. In that book, we have all that we need. And it collects dust on a bedstand all week long until it's time to blow the dust off and bring it into God's house to make a good hypocritical show of things. There was conviction brought to him. I want you to notice there was instruction. He opened his mouth, began at Moses. Showed them all through the Scriptures. I'm thankful after the Lord convicts us that He comforts us. I'm thankful, listen, I'm thankful after the Lord whips us, He woos us. I'm thankful after He disciplines us, that He's dedicated and devoted to us. I'm thankful that even though they had messed up and gone wrong, the Lord was ready to give them the instruction they needed. Ready to show them how to get it right. Ready to show them the truth of it. Why did he go and meet these wanderers on this day? These sojourners, these quitters. Because he knew they needed his presence. And he came. And let me say this. I, I believe that we live by, uh, the just shall live by faith, not by fact. Amen. But let me say that sometimes God gives the mind and heart what it needs. Mary Magdalene didn't need an exposition of scriptures. She needed to hear her name called. You hear me? She didn't need that. I mean, probably if that Lord, if the Lord that appeared as a gardener had sat down and said, let me open the scripture and show you all these things. She couldn't have even seen the pages through the tears, but she could hear the Lord when he said, Mary, Mary. But for these sojourners, they didn't need their names spoken. They needed to see it in black and white. The Lord gives us what we need when we need it. And he meets those needs. He provided instruction. I want to give you another thing, and I might dwell on this for a moment. Tuck in. <laughs> there was communion. The Bible says that as he was journeying, let's read it. I don't want to misquote it. Look with me. As he was journeying, look in verse number 28. The Bible says, And while they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Now, there is no... A lot of people have supposed that uh, verse number 28 is teaching us that the Lord was bluffing them. That's not what he was doing. Uh, you see, whenever they came to the house, it would have been rude for him to have walked right straight in. Now, we know he was the Lord, but they didn't know he was the Lord. It would have been unnatural. It would have been impolite. It would have been irreverent if he had just walked straight into the house. So he made as though he would have gone further. But it's not saying... It, let me see if I can explain it. It's saying it as a historical statement. He made as though he would go further. In other words, he said, all right, I'm going. But they constrained him. There's a truth here I want you to get. The Lord is not an intruder in any man's life. You say, what if they hadn't constrained him? 
He would have walked on. He would have walked on. You don't want fellowship with God, you're not going to have it. That's not work salvation. That's abide in me and I will abide in you. What did he do? He abided with them. As he was walking along. And let me say that even though they understood now the truth of the resurrection, listen carefully now, they still did not know him. You hear me? Even though, if we could put it this way, I believe that by the time they reached their doorstep, I believe that they had an academic understanding of the resurrection. I think they had an academic belief in it. I think if you had asked Cleopas and, 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 and his wife and said, do you believe that the resurrection took place? They'd say, yes, sir. Absolutely. Do you believe that Christ needed to suffer and to enter into his glory? They said, yes, sir. I believe that. But if you had asked him, where is he? They couldn't have shown you. They didn't know him yet. They knew of him. They didn't know him. Big difference between knowing of him and knowing him. We got churches filled with people that know of him because they hear about him every week, but they don't know him. They hear about him every week, but they don't know him. They could recite the gospel to you. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. They could quote it over and over and over again how that Christ was crucified and buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. They could give you every single theological catechism that you could ask for. But they don't know where to find the Lord. They don't know Him. They've got a head knowledge. They've got no heart knowledge. It began with what? They said, come on in. And He did something interesting. The Bible says that he went in and he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. I don't know about you, you know, it, it's, <laughs> I don't know about you, but, you know, here in the South, I, you know, th- I, and I know things are a little different up North. It's, it's not another country, but it is a province. Amen. And, and I know it's a little bit different down here, uh, but I, but I know this, uh, growing up in mama's house, if somebody had come in, she wouldn't let them fix supper. She would have fixed it. If somebody had come in and said, Now, Judy, let me let me go in here and fix you some supper, she'd have had a coronary. She'd have said, No, you won't. She'd have pulled Dad's pistol on. She didn't let that happen. That just don't fly. No, you're not going in cooking in my kitchen and fixing supper for us. You're the guest in our home. But that's not what the Lord did. The Lord came in and He took over. You hear me? He came in. He took over. He broke the bread. He blessed it. He dispersed it. He took it. Let me give you a verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open unto me, I will come in unto him and sup with him and he with me. When you invite the Lord into your life, he doesn't come in as guest. He comes in as host. He doesn't come in to be fed. He comes in to feed. When you invite the Lord and you say, Preacher, that's Lordship salvation. Well, He's Lord, isn't He? I don't believe in a Lordship salvation. I believe in a Lord that saves. I believe you take Him as He is or you won't get Him. Amen? You say, Oh, but the Bible says believe. Yeah, it says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right? Amen? 
I'm not saying a believer is never going to wander. I'm not saying that you take some sin-sick soul and they're washed in the blood of the Lamb that they're never going to make a mistake. I'm not saying that they're going to all of a sudden just start running a bus route or preaching or doing. God does it sometimes. But I'm not saying it's going to be every time. I'm just saying you take Him as Lord because He is Lord. That's who and what He is. And when He comes in, He comes in to host. He comes in to provide. He took the bread and He began to break it and give it to them. You know what the Bible says? That as he broke the bread and gave it to him, their eyes were open. And they knew him. Let me tell you where a greater knowledge of the Lord comes from. It doesn't come from the church house. It comes from the prayer closet. You hear me? If, if you're hoping for your relationship with the Lord to be sustained by what you get from the pulpit instead of the prayer closet in your own personal time, you're going to be dead in no time. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be unhappy. It doesn't come from the pulpit. Now, you ought to get teaching. You ought to get fed. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm saying this. I'm saying if you don't have a time where you sit down and sup with Him, you're going to wind up in a mess. You're going to wind up in a mess. If you don't have a time when you meet with the Lord, pray, seek His face, you're going to be shipwrecked before you know it. They knew Him. Why? Because He had broke bread and gave unto In fact, they, they reiterated it again in verse number 35. They knew Him in the breaking of bread. That's where the knowledge... And listen, that's where the peace comes from. Let me tell you what we do in this world. We, we make a mess of our lives. Somebody say amen right there. Make a mess of our lives. Then we go to everyone else in the world to fix our problems except the one person that can. You hear me? You say, preacher, are you against uh, people getting help? No, I'm not against that. I'm all for it. That's necessary sometimes. Nothing wrong with that. Preacher, are you against medication? No. I said it a couple weeks ago. Most people I know need to be on more. Amen. I, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying this. If you're not getting help from the Lord, you're not getting enough help. It's got to come from your personal walk and relationship with Him. Give you a final thing, I'll hush. We see their return trip home. We see the revelation of the Lord, but we see the rejoicing that took it over in their lives. The Bible says that when they knew Him, He vanished out of their sight. You don't need to see the Lord to have communion with Him. We walk by faith, not by sight. Blessed are those that having not seen have yet believed in Him. You don't, you don't need to see the Lord. To have fellowship with him. He vanished out of their sight. They kind of looked at each other. You can imagine, can't you? <laughs> we ain't even got to dessert. <laughs> they looked at each other. And then one of them said to the other one, I don't know who said it. One of them said to the other one, Did not our hearts burn within us? You say, What happened to them? Let me give you an example. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He had a ministry of failure. You hear me? You don't sign on for that when you go to Bible college. Nobody signs up says Lord says says to the director, I want to take uh, failure ministries. Nobody says that. No, nobody says, I want to take ministry. I want to learn how to fail real well. Jeremiah was a prophet of failure. The Lord told him, said, Jeremiah, they're not going to listen to you. Now, he didn't fail with the Lord. But he failed as far as public ministry might be concerned. He was not a popular prophet. The Lord told him, said, you're going to fail, Jeremiah. They're not going to listen to you. They're stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. Uh, they're, they're wayward and backward, and they're not going to hear what you have to say. And Jeremiah was okay with that for a while. He lived with it. But there came a day when it just became too heavy for him. They had put him in the stocks. They had made a mockery of him. They had ignored his words. They had persecuted him. They treated him as though he was a mad fool. 
And finally, Jeremiah says, let me just put this in hillbilly language. Jeremiah takes takes that metaphorical towel out and he says, Lord, I'm done. Done. It's over. I can't do it anymore. Lord, when I preach your word to them, they ignore me. I made a reproach to them. The Old Testament uses this terminology about things made a proverb under them. In other words, people said, Oh, old crazy Jeremiah, you're acting like Jeremiah, that old crazy prophet of God. Jeremiah said, I'm done, Lord, I'm over it. I didn't sign on for this. You know, sometimes the Lord lets us cry it out. You know that? You ever, you ever, some of you raised kids, you ever let them cry it out before? They're worn out and tired and frustrated. There's misbehaving and acting up, and you knew there was nothing in the world wrong with them except they was just tired. And so you just let them cry it out. The Lord let Jeremiah cry it out. Jeremiah says, Lord, I'm done. I, I'm quitting. And then all of a sudden, as he sits there in the quiet, he starts to feel something. <laughs> he starts to feel something. You say, is it wrong to feel? No, Lord made us with feelings. You say, oh, you, you mean metaphorically he felt? No. No, I believe he felt something. <laughs> and all of a sudden, his, his hands start to get hot. <laughs> his arms start to get hot. And it's not a hot on the outside, it's a hot on the inside. And he starts to think about what God's done in his life. And he starts to think about the message he's been given to, to give to the uh, people of Israel. He starts to think about the God calling him as a young man, as a young boy, when he didn't think he could do it. And he didn't think he was capable. And he said, oh, Lord, I am but a child. And the Lord said, oh, say not that you're a child. He said, I've called you. I've ordained you from before you were in the womb. I knew you. And he starts to think about the things that God's done in his life. And before you know it, he starts to get excited. And before you know it, he starts to get this passion back and this desire back and he said oh but the word of the Lord burned in my bones as a fire and he says I can't keep quiet I can't shut up I can't give out I can't give up I've got to go on what did that come from it came from communion with the Lord it came from communion with the Lord you say I'm ready to give up if you'll get with God you won't be ready to give up you say I'm ready to give up you get alone in that prayer closet the Lord will make sure you've got all the strength you need sometimes we're under the juniper tree we're ready to get up Lord gives us what we need. Angel kicked Elijah and said, Get up, Elijah. <laughs> you ever had God do that to you? you? Ever been feeling sorry for yourself? Lord said, Get up. <laughs> and Elijah got up and he looked over, sitting there on a rock. It was angel's food. A meal had been prepared for him. And the angel said, Eat. The journey is too great for thee. The Lord doesn't bring us to the end of ourselves except He allows us to find the beginning of Him in the doing of it. The Lord doesn't bring us to naught except that He might uh, bring to nothing the wisdom of this world and provide for us what we need to accomplish His will. Uh, the, the Lord doesn't let us find the sentence of death in ourselves except that we might have faith in Him which raiseth from the dead. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying the Lord, when He bankrupts you, it's so you'll start drawing out of His bank account. That's why He does it. When the Lord brings you sorrow, it's so you'll find the joy of the Lord and the power of His Word. You say, well, when, when the Lord brings me into troubles and trials, when the Lord puts you on a stormy sea, it's so you can see His hand raise up and calm the raging storms. The Lord has a purpose in it. They're given a new passion. He said it burned within us. A desire was put in us. Notice not only their new passion, but their new purpose. They just tired, I'm sure. I don't know. They walked a lot more back then. If I walked six and a half miles, I'd die. I'm convinced of it. I'd die. 
my car ever breaks down, my cell phone's not working, I'm six and a half miles from anywhere, just go ahead and start making funeral arrangements. I'm, I couldn't do it. No, that's probably pretty worn out. They've been walking all, they'd had a tough day. They were discouraged, they were, they were doubtful, and, and they were talking home, they had all these things to ponder and to think over, and they didn't understand any of it. But now that there's this desire burning in them, what do they do? They jump up out of their seat. They run six and a half more miles. Right back to Jerusalem. Right back to that little group of people. And they say, you've got to, you've got to hear what just happened to us. You've got to hear what just happened to us. We was walking on the way home on the road to Emmaus. We get, and you know, I kindly think that probably when they walked through the door, Peter or John may have said, Cleopas, what are you doing here? We didn't expect to see you back here. Boy, isn't it a great testimony when people that have given up on you and counted you four days too late see you walk back through the double doors and say, I know I messed up, but I'm ready to be here to serve God. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. Cleopas, what are you doing here? He says, you got to hear what just happened to us. We was walking down the road, and this man came up beside us and started to talk to us. You'll never guess who he was. And he started to talk to us, and he started to show us how that our Lord had to be crucified, how that all the Scriptures pointed to His crucifixion, how that we've had it wrong, we've misunderstood, we, we thought the, the messianic prophecies concerning His second coming were concerning His first coming. We were looking for a crown, but He came for a cross, and we understood, Peter, uh, that, that, that that was the true purpose of His coming. And then you'll never believe what happened, Peter. We got to the house. He started to go home. We said, no, come in and eat with us. And we came in and he sat down and he served us. <laughs> he served us. And we were sitting there eating. His word was burning within us and he was breaking bread. And then all of a sudden, as though the scales had been lifted off our eyes, we realized in a moment that in all that time that we thought we were alone, in all that time that we thought we were hopeless and helpless, in all that time that we didn't understand, in all that time that we were questioning, in all that time that God was absent from our life, it was Jesus that had drawn near and was walking with us. It was Jesus that had provided for us. It was Jesus that was revealing it to us. It was Christ that was walking along by our pathway. All the way, when we didn't even know He was there, He was there. All of the way, He was present with us. They said, He is risen. He is risen, fellas. He is risen. He's risen. Things are going to be different. He's risen. We've got a job to do. He's risen. We've got people to tell. He's risen. We've got a hope to believe in. He's risen. We've got a comfort in troubled times. He is risen. We've got a, a, an anchor in a stormy sea. He is risen. And we've got a refuge in the deluge. He is risen. And we have a shadow in the midst of the desert. He is risen. And there's wings of the Almighty that we can hover underneath. He's risen and He's alive. Yep, Fellas, He's alive. It's going to change the way we live. I don't know how they responded. We know that after this, that they threw in the towel and they give up. Not everybody's going to believe what the Lord's done in your life. But, you know, I kind of believe that from that day forward, Cleopas and his wife were never the same. I'll tell you what our homes need. Our homes need a fresh communion with an almighty God. I'll tell you what our kids need. They need to know the Lord and to commune with Him. I'll tell you what our church needs. When we come through those doors, every single person in Wall Ridge Baptist Church ought to come through those doors saying, Lord, I'm here to meet with you. I'm not just here to hear about you. I'm here to meet. I've come to break bread, Lord, with you. I've come to meet with you. I wonder what needs you have today. Let me make you a promise that the Lord is not dead. He's alive. He's alive and He's here to meet your needs. 
He's here to give you the comfort. You say, you don't know what I've done. No, but the Lord does. And His promises are true just the same. So I messed up yesterday. It's a good thing His mercies are new every morning. Good thing His mercies are new every morning. The Lord's here to forgive you and the Lord's here to help you. The Lord's here to give you the strength that you need to live for Him.